Hearing the words of Jesus from Matthew 6, verses 6 through 13. But when you pray, go to your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So far, the reading of God's word about prayer. Prayer is the breath of the soul. How often do you breathe every day, every hour, every week? How often do you breathe? Once in the morning? Only on Sundays? You breathe throughout the day. And the great Norwegian pastor, a man named Halsby, he said, prayer is like breathing the breath of the soul, inhaling the truth and the spirit of God, exhaling the the." the the pollutants that come into our soul, confessing our sins, getting right with God and with others. Prayer is the breath of the soul. And John was right. The disciples saw Jesus teach powerfully, and he, he commanded the crowds, and he told stories. Oh, Jesus could tell stories. And, and I don't know, any frustrated preacher like me, I would, if I could ask him, maybe I would say, Jesus, teach me to preach. But the disciples didn't ask Jesus to teach them to preach. What did they ask him? Teach us to pray, because we've seen you, Jesus. We've seen you go into secret and seen you emerge, as it were, glowing with confidence, with serenity, with peace, and surely with power. And we want that, Jesus. And so today, Jesus wants to teach you and me to pray. And if you say, well, I already know how to pray, he wants to teach you even more how to pray. This will be a review for some of you, and that will be good. But this will be new for many of us in this room, as many of us are, are, are new on our spiritual journey, and that's okay. Jesus wants to teach us how to pray. And what I first want to point out from this passage is that it's not a suggestion. It's actually in the imperative mood. Does anybody remember from your English class, what is an imperative? It's a command. 
It is at the urging of Jesus. This is when you pray, this is how you are to do it. Not if you pray, if you feel like praying or consider it an optional part of your spirit. No. I want you to pray, Jesus says. Breathe. Let your soul breathe. Now, I put in your bulletin a personal prayer inventory for each of you. If you didn't get a bulletin, you need to get one of these. A personal prayer inventory that you can take home with you this week. Because over the next several weeks, we're going to camp out in this Lord's Prayer. And I want to ask you, how are you doing on some of these? And you can rate yourself. See, there's a box for you to check off how you're doing. Wow, call me St. Paul. That means you're doing great. Maybe you're progressing and growing. Or maybe you would say it needs some work. Or maybe you could say, I'm pretty weak at each of these. Things like number five. My faith is strengthened and I experience God's power to live and bear witness through prayer. How would you rate yourself there? Or number seven. I experience great joy in worshiping God as I pray. So, so take this and do an honest inventory there because Jesus wants to teach you to pray. Here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins his instruction with two warnings against the most serious kind of spiritual poison. And he begins by saying, do not pray like this or like that. And what does he say in verse 6? Well, he's piggybacking on what he said, what we studied last week about the hypocrites who pray. And remember, he said, do not pray like the hypocrites, because they pray in order to be seen by men. And behind, lurking behind their piety, is their pride. And Jesus warns us all that we so easily are seduced by concern over the opinions of other people, especially about our spirituality. And he says, don't worry about that. What did we learn last week? When you pray... You pray before an audience of one. Now, that doesn't mean you can't pray in a group or pray with other people. Of course not. Jesus was public in his praying. Paul was public in his praying. The sin is not being seen praying. The sin is praying to be seen. And Jesus says, don't do that. That's poison. Don't pray like the hypocrites. Then in verse 7, he says, Do not pray like the pagans. And here, the problem is not hypocrisy. It's not hypocritical prayer. It's mechanical praying. Mechanical praying, where you just... Uh, some of the translations say, they for their babbling. And the Greek word there, it sounds like babbling. And just constant repetition and many words, as though you used prayer like an incantation. And you say words over and over again in order to manipulate the great vending machine in the sky. Jesus says, no, no. I don't want your prayer to be mechanical. I want it to be real. But when you pray, pray like this. Here's how you should pray. And so the second point, the second point is that 
Uh, apparently to Jesus, the prayer he's about to teach us is not a prayer mantra, but rather a prayer manner. It, this is the manner in which you should pray. It's not the words that you should pray, it's how you should pray. And I think this is very important to us. Uh, Hank Hanegraaff in his book on the Lord's Prayer uh, uh, really underscores this. I got this phrase from him. He says, it, it's not just a mantra that should be repeated over and over and over again. And I think the church through the centuries has unfortunately even done this with the Lord's Prayer. I remember when I was a boy, I was getting together with my friend Jamie, and he was late. We were meeting at the Black Ridge Park in Pittsburgh, and, and he was late, and, and he finally shows up. I said, Jamie, where were you? What's up? He said, well, I had to do penance. I said, what did you mean? I was unchurched. He said, well, you know, I had to recite 10 Our Fathers, and, 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 and I, was, I was doing it. And I said, really? That's interesting. What is that? I still remember him saying, well, it's just a bunch of words that I was saying over and over again. Now, I'm not commenting on him or his heart. I'm just saying it sort of came across to me as a 10-year-old boy as he was even using the Lord's Prayer as a mantra in some way to appease God. And what Jesus says is he says, no, this is how you should pray, not what you should pray. And you take each phrase and you camp out on it. Or each petition, what we'll see. Some people say there are seven petitions. Some people say, I, I think there's five primary petitions. And brothers and sisters, the Christian life is not shallow. Our religion is not shallow. Our walk with the Lord goes deep. And if you learn to camp out on each of these petitions and allow other portions of Scripture to inform them, your prayer life is going to grow rich and powerful and joyful and new. If it's a mantra, you run a great danger. I was reading through the book of Jeremiah last week, and in Jeremiah 12, in the second half of verse 2, he says of the wicked... God is often on their lips, but far from their hearts. That's a scary thing. That's the wicked. You can often have God on your lips while your hearts are far from Him. So here is what we read in the Westminster Confession of Faith and in the, in the Shorter Catechism is the great prayer that the Lord taught us as a manner for prayer. And it is what we call in our tradition the, the means of grace. Prayer is a means of experiencing grace, the means of grace. What are those? You know, some of you work in big companies. If you work for a big company and there's any management training at all, they always talk about best practices, right? What are the best practices of the best companies that leave the lesser good companies in the dust, you know? And who are these top performing companies? They are the ones who put in place the best practices. And this is modern management technique. Friends, the Church of Jesus Christ has known for centuries about the best practices for the Christian life. We call it 
diligent use of the means of grace. And number one in the best practices of the church is prayer. Learning to pray, to pray like you breathe. Number two is scripture, taking God's word and, and paying attention in the sermons as we unpack it. And then in your own daily personal worship, you open God's word and you, what do we say around here? You soap yourself up. You soap up in God's word and you, you apply it deeply to your life. The strongest churches are filled with not just sermon listeners, but people who know how to feed themselves on God's word. That's what our elders want to teach you to do. And so that's a second means of grace. Then there's the sacraments. There's communion. And we want to learn how to feast, to feed on Christ in our hearts by faith. Communion, a means of grace, a best practice, and discipleship. Life on life, connection. And we practice all. These are best practices for the church of Christ. But number one in line is prayer. And what specifically does he teach us? Well, five things. Five things to ask for. All in a particular atmosphere that informs it all. If you go through the prayer, and this is my third point this morning with a number of sub-points here, you, you begin with the address, Our Father, who art in heaven. And what Jesus is teaching to you might seem obvious, but it's not obvious to the atheist. And that is to say that you direct your prayers outside of yourself to someone else. This is not meditation. This is not transcendental meditation where you within yourself are being spiritual. You know, you, you talk to people all the time and the common thing is, well, I'm not religious, I'm just spiritual. And frankly, I know what they're getting at. They're saying, I don't want to just do the outward trappings of religion. But there, there's a danger if you think, you just say, well, I'm spiritual because the reference then is me. I'm a spiritual person. And, I just, and Jesus says when you pray, you're actually moving outside of yourself to the Heavenly Father. And you're getting past your own noisy conscience, your own busy mind. And you go to your Heavenly Father. You go to the heart of the Father. We'll come back to that in a minute. But, and I just want you to see see the table spread before you because whenever there's a survey of a list in the Bible you can either let the screensaver go up and turn off or you can look at it like like Thanksgiving dinner when you're called to the dining room the table is set and dinner is ready and you come into the dining room and you see the the pile of mashed potatoes steaming and the tureen of gravy there and the, the bowl of green beans, almondine, and there in the center are the cranberries and the hot buttered rolls and then majestically stands the turkey overflowing with stuffing and you walk in and you survey the sea. And in the Bible we have the list of the fruit of the Spirit. That's like walking in on Thanksgiving Day. And here you have the, the petitions of the Lord's Prayer. 
We'll camp out on them, some of them in the next couple of weeks. But now, just what are these five petitions that are laid before you, like the, the steaming pile of potatoes and the turkey and the gravy right there? Well, the first thing that we are taught by Jesus is to pray to our Heavenly Father and then say, Holy is your name. And we bow. The first part of healthy prayer is worship. I talk to people sometimes and they say, you know, I don't know if I'm really a Christian. I don't know if I'm a Christian. Maybe you're here today and you say, I don't know if I'm a Christian. I want you to know that every true believer desires to honor God in their heart of hearts and is eager to worship God in His holiness. Every true believer wants God to be exalted in them and around them. And that's a really good test to know whether or not I'm in the faith, whether or not... I'm a a true Christian. And you say, holy, holy, holy is your name. And your mind goes to Revelation chapter 4, where they say, thou art worthy, O God, for thou hast created all things, and you worship him for his power as creator. Or you go to Revelation 5, and you have the the 10,000 times 10,000 angels and saints crying out, You are worthy, our Lord and our God, for you redeemed men and women. They worship him as creator and redeemer. How about you? Are you a worshiper in your praying? And then the second petition, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Brother Tay is going to camp out on this with us next week. But I just want to say this. We have said it many times, and if you're new to our church and you're taking notes, you want to write this down. In our church, we must be committed to kingdom-centered, front-line, prevailing prayer. Three words that are pregnant inside of this petition. That you and I are committed to kingdom-centered praying. And what, what we mean by that is that when we pray, we pray according to God's agenda, not just according to my agenda. God's kingdom is coming. It's intruding. It's breaking into the earth. And you are going to pray. Yeah, yeah, you you can pray about everything. Philippians 4, we read it earlier. Pray about everything. You, You need a new transmission in your car? Pray about that. That's good to pray. But, But it's not just maintenance prayer. Help me get through the day. It's kingdom praying. Lord, let your kingdom come. May the whole earth be evangelized. And may the the place where I live and I work and I play, may that be evangelized too. And then, may the church grow in maturity. May we be discipled. Let your kingdom run deep in each of our hearts. You see, that's kingdom-centered praying. And frontline praying... I'm so glad Tay and our teenagers have adopted this child from Haiti. 
And we're going to pray for little Graziani. We're going to pray for him. And when we pray for him, brothers and sisters, we are going right to the front line where he lives. You see, before, before there were satellites and global telecommunication networks, the saints of old understood that when you pray, you move to the front line. And so the, the, the Christians in Jerusalem prayed for the saints in Rome. And the saints in Philippi prayed for their Christian brothers and sisters in Corinth. And, and they, they prayed as though they were on the front lines. And you remember when Martin led us on the International Day of Prayer and he stood before us weeping for those in prison for their faith in Iraq, in Iran, in Yemen, in Saudi Arabia, in Indonesia. And he wept and he led us in prayer for those persecuted for their faith. Where did he take us? He took us from Oyster Bay to Indonesia, to Saudi Arabia, to Yemen. And there are organizations called like Moms at Prayer. Moms at Prayer. It's all across America. These are people who pray for their school districts. They get together, have a cup of coffee, and then they pray together for the teachers and the administrators and the children and the coaches. They pray for their school districts. Where are they? They're in somebody's kitchen. But they're on the front line in the schools in prayer. Front line, kingdom-centered front line, and number three, prevailing prayer. And that just means we won't give up. And North Shore Community Church, we won't give up. We won't give up. We will keep praying. Jesus said about that widow, what did she keep doing? She kept knocking. Knock, ask, seek. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then is the petition for our daily bread. And, and yes, at Thanksgiving, there are the hot buttered rolls steaming next to the turkey and stuffing. But Jesus, Jesus says, your Father knows what you need. And when you pray like this, in this prayer, in this manner of praying, it's not so much that you're informing God that you need some bread. Jesus just said uh, earlier in this passage, your Father knows what you need. So it's not like you need to say, God, little bread here. Have you ever tried to catch the attention of the waiter who seems to have neglected you for an awfully long time? And because you're an impatient New Yorker, you're looking at your watch, and now you're not enjoying your meal anymore, you just, where is that waiter? I need him to bring me some rolls. God is not like that absent waiter, okay? What Jesus is really teaching here in this petition is he's teaching dependence. Something that middle-class people tend to forget. This, this is the prayer of dependency. Psalm 20, verse 7. Psalm 20, verse 7 says, 
Some trust in chariots. And some trust in horses. What are you dependent on? You dependent on chariots? Technology? You dependent on horses? Animal strength? But the psalmist says, But we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. That's what Jesus is teaching us here in this petition. Then he says, forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who sins against us. And I'm going to come back to this petition in a couple of weeks. But today, today the question that's obvious for you and for me is, do I need forgiveness? Not me. I pay my taxes. I stop at the stop sign before I turn right on red. You know, has Jesus just insulted you? You feel like Jesus insulted you when he says, when you pray, ask for forgiveness of your sins. I I don't want you to feel insulted this morning. That's not the point. But if you have worshipped God, who is holy, 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 and you have gotten to the place where you say, Hallowed be thy name, and thy kingdom come, O King of kings and O Lord of lords, who is immaculate and without sin, and who alone is without sin, and who is worthy as creator and redeemer, if you have gotten to that place where you bow before him, He will surely reveal to you your own poverty of spirit, as he does to me all the time. Listen, what Jesus is teaching us here is that we shouldn't just pray what we think he wants to hear. I think a lot of nervous Christians do that. We pray what we think God wants to hear good theology, good. Make sure your prayers have good theology and and zeal and passion. But sometimes we are so focused on saying what we think God wants to hear that we fail to bring him the honest darkness of our own hearts. And he welcomes that. He welcomes you. Jesus is giving you permission to be honest He's giving me permission to talk to him about my pride, my unbelief, my selfishness, my sensualism, whatever. He says, you're safe. Let's do business about your heart. And then, of course, the flip side of that is needing to forgive others in prayer. And you see, if you need reconciliation with someone else... I tell you, before you pick up the telephone to call a mediator, go to God as we forgive those who trespass against us. And if you need reconciliation with someone else, if you have bitterness inside your heart, deal deal with it in prayer first. And then the fifth, fifth petition here, as we survey the land, 
Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And here, again, prayer is the means of grace. You are asking for preventing grace and preserving grace. These are the two things that we will, we will see you ask for. Preventative grace. Oh God, when temptation comes, because Jesus said, I'm not taking them out of the world, but he does pray that God would protect us while we are in the world. And so God, preserve us. God, protect us. Deliver us from our spiritual enemies. And we all have them. The world and the flesh and the devil. This is the manner in which you should pray. But, but, you can't do any of it. Unless first, you call God Father. And this is important. Because some of us had good relationships with our earthly fathers. And some of us had estranged relationships with our earthly fathers. And... All of us had sinful fathers. And so, we need to study what it means that God is our Father. And we need to observe when Jesus teaches the fatherhood of God. Where is that primarily in the story of the prodigal son? What do we learn about the Father in the story of the prodigal son? That he's always waiting. That he's always watching. That he's always welcoming. And he's always running toward the one that he loves. That is your father. How can it be that the holy God will approach a sinful person like me? How can that be? And the answer is that the one who taught us to, to call God father is the one who knew God as his father. And he says, take my father and make him your father through my work on the cross. Through my death on the cross, my father adopts you into our family. Welcome. Come to your heavenly father. Come to him like you breathe. Come, as a friend of mine says, to the porch of paradise. And he teaches his church to pray. He says, consider yourself coming to the porch of paradise, to your heavenly home. You're you're not yet inside that home, but we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Come to the porch of paradise and sit with your heavenly Father and talk a while. Here's the manner in which you should pray. How are you doing? How are you doing? Maybe like me, you want to repent of prayerlessness. You know, Martin Luther, Martin Luther said that the entire Christian life is energized by despairing of your own righteousness and believing boldly in the Father's love. And that's how we come to communion now. That's how we come to the Lord's table. That's how we come to prayer. Despairing of our own righteousness and believing boldly in the love of Jesus Christ and God the Father and the Holy Spirit. So I invite you to come now. I invite you to come. 
Uh, We're going to bow our heads. We're going to pray together. I invite the elders to come forward. And every time that we say, Our Father, we are remembering that Jesus Christ welcomed us into his family and leads us into our Father's presence. So let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we are reminded today, holy is your name. Holy, holy, holy. And I confess, Lord, my own prayerlessness. And today, today I ask you to teach me and teach my church family, my brothers and sisters, more how to pray. As we come to communion, Lord, uh, we are humbled. We have no right to be here. We are not worthy, but we are here. We are welcomed here. So we invite you to do business with us now. In Jesus' name, amen.